The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. All I want for Christmas. All I want for Christmas. That's been our theme over this month of Advent, of looking. And you fill in the blank. You've filled it in and you're filling it in regularly and you're on Amazon and you've got your wish list and you've forwarded it to your parents and your grandparents. Uh, You've made sure that everyone knows what you want. You've dropped hints around. You've left little reminders. And now you, with great anxiety, uh, look out daily uh, and hope that someone is going to be working their feet and hands to the bone to deliver that to you within the next five days. That they're going to be out until 9 o'clock at night so you get your package on time for you, like me, didn't order until late in the week this week. And you just loved the expedited delivery systems. And you look and you say, ah, and if I get these things, if I just get this or I just get that, then then maybe I'll be content this year. Then maybe uh, things will be okay for me. Maybe that wish list is a little more significant. Maybe that wish list is... I just wish I wasn't alone at Christmas this year. I, I wish 2016 would be different from 2015. I, I wish that my marriage would be better than it is. I, I wish that my, my family was more intimate in their relationships than they are. I wish this. And you have a more profound wish list. And again, the hope, and it's not that any of these things are wrong in and of themselves, But we so ever so slightly, ever so subtly, we move these things from where they were designed to be of good things. But we move them into places that we have to have them. That they become, in a sense, our pseudo-saviors. They become uh, our gods. That we have to have them and we serve them. And at the end of the day, we're ultimately disappointed with all of those things. Well, we've been looking and saying... What is it that we can gain through the advent, through the coming of Jesus Christ into this world, that if we receive these things, we can have a deep, abiding, profound life. One that's filled with with love and with hope and with joy. And this week, talking about peace. And we're going to see uh, through the midst of this sermon and our talk together that all of those come together. That it's not that you can say, well, I want some love, but I sure don't want joy. Or I want to be a joyful person, but I'm not really all that hopeful. Or I might want hope, but I I don't really care about peace. It's no big deal to me. They all come together. It's similar and very similar, obviously, to the fruit of the Spirit, where there is one singular fruit with all the various different aspects and variants that come with it. And so, in order to have peace, you have to have hope. In order to have hope, uh, you have to have a joy. You have to understand the love of God for you. And so, it's all brought together for us. And so, this morning, we're going to look at several passages on peace and ask the question, how is it that Christ coming into the world brings us a true abiding peace? What is this peace? How is it defined? Uh, What are the enemies of peace? What is it that keeps us from peace? How do we uh, go and what's the source of this peace in our lives? Isaiah wrote in prophetic form, and you heard it read to you already, that for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus was speaking uh, in the Gospel of John, and he said uh, these words in John 14, speaking to his disciples, 
talking to them about his leaving that was causing them great anxiety, great angst. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And the Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And Paul, picking up on these words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Amen. So today we are going to introduce peace. That we're going to say, at least at the beginning, in summary form, this much. That the texts that we've read are the classic text in the scripture about peace, and that the Bible simply says that peace is confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. That peace is confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. We have said that when we talked about joy, that the opposite of joy wasn't sorrow or sadness. We said those two are commingled in the world. We said that the opposite of joy uh, was hopelessness. 
And in similar fashion, that the opposite of peace is not disturbance in the world. It's not conflict. The opposite of peace is anxiety and worry. You see, peace has to do with steadiness. And the opposite of peace is not hopelessness or despair. The opposite of peace is worry and anxiety. Peace, therefore, has to do with confidence that we have in how God controls our lives. When he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will result. You see, anxiety as opposed to peace is opposed to peace. So where do we find this peace? Where do we go to get it? What are uh, the counterfeits to it? What are the enemies of it? It'd be interesting if you were to go to a bookstore and you were to go online even to, and to read about books that, that present to you peace, books that are trying to talk about anxiety. Interesting that none of them, from a secular vantage point, start with this premise. Consider your thoughts. Consider the universe. Consider the meaning of life. A secular mind won't go there. It can't begin there. Because what a secular mind, what the world around us presents to us, uh, was encapsulated in the last century uh, by Oliver Wendell Holmes. And Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote this. He said, there is no reason for attributing to a man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or to a grain of sand. The world has produced me and the rattlesnake but I will kill the rattlesnake if I get the chance. And the only reason is because it is incongruous to the world I want. The world we are trying to make according to our own power. Incredibly bleak. Not filled with any kind of hope. But he is just thinking about the implications of the view of the world and all of its inhabitants that are here by sheer accident and by sheer chance. If that is true, then first, there is no real reason for saying that human beings are valuable at all. Human beings have no inherent dignity whatsoever. There is no right or wrong. There is no hope. There is no reason for care for others. If you think about it and you consider it, it's unbelievably disturbing at every level. But we all know people who hold to that belief system. That the world is an accident, that humanity came into existence by mere chance, uh, that it is there. But what you won't find is a consistency of thought. Because a consistency of thought would push them to where Oliver Wendell Holmes was at least brave enough and honest enough to go. To say, it's no difference between me and a grain of sand. There's no difference between me and the rattlesnake. I've just determined that the rattlesnake is of no value. There's no reason why in that worldview you can stand in opposition to a Hitler or to a Pol Pot or to any who would say that my race is dominant than any other race. And I've determined that they're nothing more than a rattlesnake to me. And they're incongruous with my view of what the world should be like. And I'm going to eradicate the world of them. And you have absolutely no premise and ground to stand upon to tell me that I'm wrong if you consider the implications of what you believe. That's what the world around us, and that's what some of you hold. And I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you to think. 
I'm going to challenge you to push through and to truly consider the implications of the worldview to which you subscribe. And all of you have a worldview. Every single person here holds to a worldview. How we view the things, how we hold things together, how we understand things, how we process things. And you see, it's interesting. The Christian mind and the Christian worldview is absolutely antithetical to the, to the secular. Because the Christian worldview goes something like this. Think through. Think through your beliefs. Consider them fully. You see, the Christian learns from the Bible that God created everything that he created them perfect and beautiful, that he created man and woman in his image, that we have value, and that even though we have turned away from him, he desires our friendship, uh, that, he has made, that we've made quite a mess of everything, but yet he is moving heaven and earth to reacquire us. That God, at infinite cost to himself, sent his son into this world to suffer within this world. The indignity of the creator to become like one of the creatures. And that nothing will stop him from reuniting himself to us. Paul says that if you believe that to be true, then think through the implications. Think through the implications of that theological framework. For so many people we go... Don't give me theology, just give me Jesus. I don't want all this doctrine. I I just want to love Jesus. Folks, that's an absolute crazy statement. You have to believe something. You do believe something, and you're living your life based on the implications of that belief. What we're inviting you to do, what I'm inviting you to do, is think through what the belief in God, who said that I am willing to send my son into this world to become like you, to save you, and to redeem you. Think about the implications of that and see if they lead you to peace or to anxiety. You see, so for the Christians, peace comes from thinking out the implications of their basic beliefs and the nature of the world. Secular people get peace by avoiding the implications of their basic beliefs about the world. For the Christian, peace comes by thinking out the implications of what you say you believe. So my hope this morning is this. You're ready to think. You're going, oh no. I just wanted to come. It's Christmas. I come twice a year. Christmas and Easter. Don't make me think. I want to make you think. Because I want you to come in between those times as well. I want you to think if you come every single week. I want you to think through the implications of what you believe and where they're leading you. You see, if you want the peace that passes understanding, as one writer put it, there can be no intellectual end run that you have to think, that you have to consider. For some of you who are coming this morning, you were raised in churches where you were invited as you came in the doors to take your brain and your mind and to set them aside. And that we were going to highlight the emotions in the heart and we're going to get you all fired up for Jesus and then send you back out into the world. And then when there were deep thoughts that needed to happen, your only response that you were ever trained to say was the Bible says it and that settles it for me. And that is behind the scenes the very true statement. But have you really thought through? Have you been able to engage the world around you in such a way that you can say this, that you can think through the inescapable reality that Christ came into the world for the singular purpose of going to a cross to make peace for us with God as Father. And that our only hope of peace comes in and through this Prince of Peace. 
that I want you to learn and to gain some things and to know, as Francis Schaeffer would do, uh, that the great Christian apologist and thinker of the last century, uh, that he would take people and to a point of tension within their worldview. That he was willing to engage with them to a point of tension and to let them sit there. To let them sit uh, and to realize this is where it all begins to fall apart. And instead of answering it, let the weight of that inconsistency weigh upon them. And then, with the wisdom of the Lord, begin to present the consistency of a Christian thought. Christianity and Christian thought is unbelievably consistent. That's why we want you to go through and to study the Bible in its totality, to see the beauty of its forming over time, of building in and through itself. And the first thing we've got to to get going, quite a long introduction there, uh, is to ask the question, what then is peace? The definition of peace is very simple. I've already said it to you. That biblical peace is confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. That biblical peace is a confidence and a rest in the wisdom and the sovereignty of God rather than in your own wisdom and sovereignty. There's a word there that we don't like to use, and it's that word sovereignty. That we don't like that word because it makes us think that we're out of control, that we're not our own gods and not our own ends. But the reality is this, you already know that. You already know that. You're just unwilling to admit the implications of acknowledging that, that there is a God that who is in this world and there is not one maverick molecule that's outside of his control and that he is seated upon his throne and that it is our confidence and our rest within him that brings us this peace. Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives it do I give to you. Don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus said over and over and over again to the disciples, I come to give you peace. I bring you peace. Shalom, shalom, shalom. The Hebrew word for peace there is an extraordinarily packed and pregnant term. That it is a term that basically is referring to this. It is a multidimensional flourishing and fulfillment. A multidimensional flourishing and fulfillment. That's the peace that God gives. It is spiritual. It is physical. It is emotional. It's social. And it's cultural. This peace has to do with the wholeness of relationship. You see, peace, shalom, was lost in the garden. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. And it says that they were with God and that there was an intimacy in their relationship. It was an integrated, it was fully integrated, fully woven together in the fabric of who they were. And there was a peace and a shalom and a flourishing between them as husband and wife. And it said that they stood before one another naked and there was no shame. That there was no little giggling. There was no little imperfections, there was beauty and perfection between them and there was no disintegration at all. That in and of themselves they felt no shame. But then when sin entered the world, it says that what began to happen was disintegration. An unweaving of the very fabric of how things were designed. That when sin entered the world, that everything began to fall apart. That Adam and Eve stood in front of one another and they felt shame. That they covered themselves and hid from God. That all of a sudden everything began to fall apart. That their labor, which they had labored before without toil, all of a sudden now there were briars upon the ground. There was difficulty there. There was difficulty within childbirth. There was difficulty within the human relationship. Everything. Spiritual, 
physical, emotional, social, and cultural was disintegrated. But Christ, the Prince of Peace, came to begin the process of reintegration, of a reweaving of the very fabric of your own soul. That you can be at peace, you can come together within your own heart. That relationally there's a dynamic that is created. That culturally we can get over and through the things that divide us because of the peace that comes from God. That one commentator said, Shalom is the restoration of all these relationships under the power of the reign of God. Therefore, Shalom is perhaps the basic characteristic of the future kingdom of God. When the Lord comes to heal all that is wrong with the world, there will be Shalom. Don't you desire that? Not just the absence of conflict, but a flourishing within your life. How many of you woke up this morning and went, I'm flourishing today. This is awesome. Everything fits perfectly. Everything's wonderful. The world is at peace. This is great. No, you're rushing around. You come, there's fights in the cars. There's popping of legs. There's yelling. There's all of this. You pull up in the parking lot. You're frustrated because there's no parking places and you're having to walk. And you're doing, and you're coming in, and then you go, Hey, welcome. Good to see you today. You're good. I'm good. I'm good. You're good. Hey, praise Jesus. This is awesome. And inside, you're going, I'm not flourishing. Bill, what you're talking about sounds so good, but how is it available? Well, it's available in two different types of peace. This peace, this flourishing which we have, comes first. The two different types are this. There's one, there's an objective peace, that peace with God, and then there is a subjective peace, a peace of God. In Romans, the objective peace with God comes in this way through justification by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Christ came into the world in his advent. He came into the world to break down this barrier between humanity and with God. And the only way, folks, I want you to hear this, an exclusive claim of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not an exclusive claim of this church, but of the Bible itself, says this, you will never have peace with God in any other way than through Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, not by your good works. Some of you are working so incredibly hard to balance out the scales of justice that somehow all of your good and all of your religion and all of your law and all of your morality and all of these things that you're doing, somehow at the end of the day, Christ, God is going to look at you and go, okay, we're at peace. And the reality is this, it will never tip in your favor unless Christ is your Savior. So if you want peace with God, hear me today. It only comes through Jesus Christ, only through Him. Lay down whatever else it is that you're holding on to. And you see, we are now justified by him. And that we are holy and blameless in his sight. And that we are fully loved by him. It's a pretty great thing to think. That we are loved now as we will, as we will be a trillion years from now. This love is not fluctuating. Because it's not based on you. It's based on Christ. And the Father looks at you through Christ. And he goes, I absolutely love you. 
that I'm at peace with you, and that's never going to be shaken or moved. If you think through the implication of that, would it change the way you live your life? Would it change maybe a bit of the anxiety that you feel that this is true peace with God? And then there's a peace of God. It's subjective in nature. In Philippians 4, we hear it said this way, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's saying there is a peace that comes within the midst of every situation. There's a peace that grows within us that is founded upon the peace that we have with God. But it is one that ebbs and it flows within the Christian life. And that it can allow you to have a peace within any circumstance that we find within which we find ourselves. You see, the opposite of peace is worry and anxiety. We're going to look at that in just a second. And so what we come to find is that there is a peace of God. It's a gift that God gives to his children and to his people. It's this peace that says this, you can rest and not be afraid. The peace of God is so closely related to joy that we might say that joy is peace when it gets exercised. Tim Keller. The peace of Christ is so closely related to joy that we might say that joy is peace when it gets exercised. You see, there is a peace that says to us, I don't have to worry. I don't have to work so hard. I can lay down all of my doings, all of my strivings, and I can rest. For peace is a rest that comes. So what are the enemies of peace? Well, there are a number of them, and I'll highlight a few. The first couplet that we'll look at is anxiety and worry. Anxiety is the preoccupation with things that are of lesser importance. It's in the preoccupation with these things that there is a false confidence that if they are all well cared for, life will move along smoothly. Anxiety counts some things more important than God and seeks to derive security from these things rather than from God himself. John Sanderson. Interesting. The Greek word for anxiety is a word that means to be in pieces. It means to be broken into pieces. To be anxious means literally to have your mind divided and distracted and trying to get a hold of too many goals. It basically means that you have too many non-negotiables in your life. That as you bargain with God, you've laid out your list of things to Him. That there's an anxiety and a worry How many of you do this? How many of you for non-medical related reasons have had a difficult time sleeping before in your life? Like five of you, really? Man, a non-drug induced sleep. Well, why? Why can't you sleep? Because you're anxious. You're worrying about things. There's a sense of which somehow walking the floor and pacing, uh, of wringing your hands, when this beautiful, this beautiful offering is given, that says something like this, hey, I'm your heavenly father who sent my only son into the world to pursue you. 
because you are of such infinite value to me that I have saved you. And I'm going to see it through to the end. And so go to sleep. I got it. And when you wake up in the morning, guess what? I got it. My mom used to say to me in my worries, Billy, don't worry about tomorrow. God's already in tomorrow. Oh, what a confidence that comes. And an ability to sleep. An ability to rest. And to turn your mind off. To just for a moment to go, God's got it. I can close my eyes tonight. And not have to worry and be anxious. Enemies of peace could be jealousy and envy. That you can't ever have peace in God, in what God has ordained for you, because you're always worried about other, what others are getting. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? There's like 10 at that point, right? All of life is middle school. Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you follow me? You'll never have peace if you're always worried that somebody else is getting the better gift. If somebody else is getting something better than you. That you got the short end of the stick. That you're always worried about everything else. Because what that shows deep down is a profound distrust in your heavenly father's care and goodness towards you. Jealousy and envy. Because we believe the lie that if only we had that. If only I had what you had. If only I had the point eight. Then... Then, yeah, then life would be fine. But you know what? You know what you find from the people who have the point eight? They want point nine. And they're jealous of the one who has it. Because they believe that if they get it, then they can be at peace. Or they're so worried about keeping it that they're afraid if they lose it, that all of a sudden life has no meaning. Jealousy and envy. Enemies of peace, anxiety, worry, jealousy, envy, apathy, and indifference. Classically, it would be like, oh, I don't care about that, or whatever. Nowadays, it's taken on the form of my favorite statement, it is what it is. Of course it is. What else is it going to be? It can't be what it's not. But it is what it is. Well, yeah, it is what it is. What does that mean? It's the mantra of a modern generation in a pop pop psychology in an attempt to counterfeit the fruit of peace by getting you to quit caring about things. Well, it is what it is. Of course it is. But you see, the amazing thing about Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ was one who experienced absolute and full and complete shalom and peace, yet he wept over Jerusalem. It wasn't just what it was. It was heartbreak for a people who he knew was going to, who were going to reject him. That his heart wept when his friend Lazarus was dead because he understood the consequence of the fall and that death was an uninvited guest into our lives and we were never designed to die. And he knew that he had to die to penetrate through the profound hold of death so that life could be re-entered by us internally. He was at absolute complete peace. But he didn't just say, oh, well, Martha and Mary, it is what it is. 
Lazarus is dead, whatever. Just get over it. He felt it and experienced it. Peace is just the opposite of these things. So what's the source of peace in our lives? And we'll end here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The only source of the peace that passes understanding that will guard your hearts and minds is the peace that comes from and originates in Christ Jesus. Every other peace will wear you out. Every other peace that you think that you need to have, every other peace will wear you down ultimately in your life. You see, what we realize is this, is that we think that if we can control it, Somehow, somehow, everything's going to be fine. And what we realize at the end of the day is we don't have the ability to control it. We think that if I just keep everything in order, if I am the source, then I can hold my family together. I can hold the organization together that I work for. I can hold my friendships together. I can hold it together. And underlying that, is the reality that you know you don't have the ability in and of yourself. And you're worn out, and you're worried, and you're tired, and you're anxious, and you're fretting because you're going to the wrong source. Christ says, the peace that I give you has only one source, me. No other source in the universe is there for true peace. This is a unique peace with only one source. And there are lots of pretenders. So how do you grow in this gospel peace? How do you see it grow in yourselves? Peter says it this way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. First thing is to be honest. Be honest. You've been trying to control it. You've been trying to be sovereign. You've been trying to be wise. And you're worn out and you're wearing out everybody around you. And you're worried and you're anxious. And instead of denying that reality, instead of walking around, so how are you? I'm good. You? Good. 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 Yeah. I mean, I'm bankrupt, but I'm good. I mean, my wife hadn't talked to me in a month, but yeah, I mean, I'm good. I mean, I'm failing out of school, but I can't tell my parents. I mean, I'm good. I mean, I just, I just went too far with my boyfriend and I feel unbelievable guilt and shame. But, but I'm good. I didn't get invited to the dance. I didn't make the team. I'm good. Instead of all of that, why not just be honest? God, I'm not good. Will you take all this anxiety on you? Cast it on him, he says, for he will take it. And he says, humble yourselves. Quit thinking you can do it. That is such an affront to the ego. Not just the male ego, by the way. Plenty of women think they have what it takes, too. All of us, it's within our human depravity to think that we can do it. You see, God has a mighty hand and he cares for us. Peace comes from knowing that both of these are true. Looking at the salvation that Christ wrought on the cross proves it. At the cross, we see the power of God and the love of God manifest. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. He's there. And this peace that comes from him is a powerful peace. He says it's a surpassing peace. And it's an independent peace that is not based on any circumstance. So if you want that peace, go to Christ and look at the true source. I'm going to go ahead and invite the team to come up for the last song, but I'm going to read for you a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien in his great work, The Lord of the Rings. And it's between Samwise Ganges and, and Frodo. And they're going along, and Samwise is the best friend. He's the protector. He's the one who was helping uh, Frodo carry the ring to where it was going to be destroyed. And they were going through darkness, and they were going into Mordor, and they were going and seeing evil. You know, by the way, C.S. Lewis said, there comes a time in life when you're old enough to read children's stories again. You're old enough. I grew up at every dinner table. We would read the classics of Narnia and of the Lord of the Rings and to see the imagination of the eye. And to hear these words of Samwise. There, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark and high up on the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. His courage before had been defiance rather than hope. For then he was thinking of himself. Now for a moment, his own fate and even his master ceased to trouble him. Putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. He saw a star. And it reminded him that there's something beyond the darkness. Christ is that star. He is that beyond the darkness of this world. And he says, if you believe in me, you can cast yourself into a deep, untroubled sleep and rest. And it can be well with your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. Would we think through the implications of what we believe? And would we sing this great hymn and be able to say with honesty, though the sea billows roll, though troubles come, though I experience loss and death, whatever comes my way, it is well with my soul because I know you and what you have done for me. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing.